Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Not only is Bluehost Cloud our fastest web hosting available, but it's also built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake-me-up-when-the-sun-sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Numbers and facts from Bitmain's IPO filing. The mining giant is doing well despite the bear market. Good evening, I'm Pete Rizzo, and this is Late Confirmation from Coindesk, bringing you the top stories from September 27th, 2018. On today's show, the SEC delayed its decision on a Bitcoin ETF once again. Now what? Not everyone is enthusiastic about enterprise blockchain. Angus Champion de Crispigny, a former employee of EY, is definitely not. A little later in the show, we'll be talking to Jalak Jobanputra, founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures, who will share her perspective on blockchain's progress in the developing world and advancing women's participation in the industry. I think there's going to be new crypto asset infrastructure that's built. So in our second fund, about half of our investments so far have been around how do we build the new financial infrastructure for this, this new asset class. But first, a word from our sponsor. Master financial technology online with the 10-week Oxford FinTech program. Interacting with an international cohort of business leaders and over 60 guest experts, you'll gain a practical introduction to key financial technologies and their business applications. Find out more at OxfordExecFintech.com. Bitmain's draft ICO prospectus was published on Wednesday, and it was anything but a quick read. Revealing the inner workings of the Chinese mining giant, the 438-page document gives detailed information about the company's sales and profitability going all the way back to 2015. As you can imagine, the details are illuminating. Bitmain's sales grew an astonishing 328% since 2015, reaching $2.5 billion in 2017. Profits for the first half of 2018 have already exceeded $950 million. Notably, the bulk of Bitmain's revenue has consistently come from selling mining hardware. As for the costs and expenses, Bitmain is now spending more on materials and manufacturing costs, spending $1.5 billion on that so far in 2018. Bitmain's own cryptocurrency holdings are also impressive. At the end of June, Bitmain held $886 million worth of Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ether, Litecoin, Dash, and other crypto assets, more than twice what it held in fiat. Notably absent is how much funds are held in each asset, which is likely to fuel online conspiracies for some time to come. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission delayed their decision on Bitcoin ETF for the second time. 
Last week, the SEC announced that the proposal filed by Options Exchange CBOE in partnership with VanEck and Solidex will get its verdict on December 29th. However, VanEck and Solidex still believe their proposal has a chance to be approved. According to Gabor Grubex, the director of digital asset strategy for VanEck, the delay was entirely expected and didn't discourage the firm from pursuing approval. SolidX also confirmed to Coindesk that it's optimistic. Unlike other ETF proposals recently rejected by the SEC, the VanEck and SolidX Bitcoin ETF stipulates that the fund hold a repository of Bitcoins rather than a Bitcoin derivatives. So for now, it's the only physically backed Bitcoin ETF proposal waiting for the SEC's judgment. Angus championed to Crispigny, an advisor to various startups and a former employee of EY, offered a pessimistic look at enterprise blockchains in an op-ed on Coindesk today. His main point? Blockchain shouldn't be used where a distributed database can be. Blockchains are designed to prevent central governance, he argues. But by sacrificing the administrator, a blockchain will require more disk space, as each node stores all the data. Any changes that may be made will take an unprecedentedly long time as each individual node updates. He points out that the fallacy of companies who establish a central party to govern their blockchain with the client, the entire point of blockchain is no central authority, he reminds. As a conclusion, Dick Crispigny reminds companies not to be led by the hype. The benefits of a technology should never be assumed based on buzzwords, hype, or the fear that, quote, everyone else is doing it, so why shouldn't I, end quote. Earlier this week, Mark Hochstein, managing editor at Coindesk, spoke to Jalak Jobanputra, founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures. Let's listen to her perspective on blockchain's progress in the developing world and advancing women's participation in the industry. This is Mark Hochstein with Coindesk. I am at the Concordia Annual Summit in New York City today, and I'm joined now by Jalak Jovanputra of Future Perfect Ventures. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. You were an early investor in developing world applications of blockchain and Bitcoin. At this stage, do you think we're any closer to the dream of using this technology to improve financial inclusion? I do. Um, I was an early investor in BitPesa. um, And if I look at the growth that they've seen over the last uh, three, four years, it's it's significant. Um, And they're they're doing business in Africa. Yes, yes. So um, they start off in Nairobi. Their now biggest market in, in Africa is Nigeria. They're doing a lot of B2B. Uh, uh, transactions, because right now it can cost up to 20% of a transaction uh, to send money from one African country to another, just because of the number of banks and currencies that transaction has to go through. There's no one direct way to send it. They're going Um, through correspondent banks, Yes. and uh, they're transferring from one currency to another, to another, to another. Yes, so that that all adds up fees. Um, And so they start off using the Bitcoin blockchain to do that conversion. They're seeing all sorts of different business opportunities. So it's, it's two conversions instead of m- more than two. Yes, exactly. Or it could remain in Bitcoin if that's what uh, the recipient wants um, wants to happen. Um, and, and a lot of entrepreneurs around the world have seen that example and have been inspired by it. And I'm looking at deals um, in India, in the Philippines, uh, all over Latin America. Um, and uh, you know, there have been so many pain points in, in these countries that we just don't see here. I was born in Nairobi. I've spent a lot of time in the emerging markets, which is one of the reasons I think I saw the opportunity around um, the, the transaction element of, of, uh, of, of Bitcoin at the time. Um, but. But what's happened is is seeing some of these examples has ignited the imagination 
of entrepreneurs in the U.S. as well as around the world, and we're seeing different lending mechanisms, uh, different models around uh, using crypto uh, and and vouching for uh, credit history and all sorts of things starting to blossom. So I actually think we're going to see the emerging markets uh, uh, prove out some of these business models around crypto and blockchain before we see the developed world do that. Kind of like with uh, mobile phones, right? Absolutely. And then Kenya was ground, ground zero for that. But there are lots of other examples. Telemedicine is one that I was investing in Africa and India well before we saw some of these models come to the U.S. So you've been an outspoken advocate for advancing the participation of women in the blockchain industry. Are, are we making progress on that front? And, and where do you think the biggest challenges are right now? Well, when I went to my first uh, industry uh, Bitcoin conference in 2013, I, I met one other woman there. Um, but I actually felt very welcomed by uh, the community, and it was mainly developers. Um, they were just so excited about the technology and the promise of the technology that they really welcomed anybody who was interested or just as passionate about it as they were. Um, and I've always been in male-dominated careers. I was an investment banker. I've been a VC since for 20 years. So, um, but but what I, I still thought it was a problem that uh, there wasn't more diversity um, in in that audience um, because we we've seen what happened with the internet, right? It was it was really one demographic funding the industry, one demographic primarily building the industry. I sat on many boards over the years as as the only woman, and I knew. If we had more diversity at table, different business models would have probably been explored. Different voices would have actually been given equal say. So I've seen this happen over and over again. And I um, really uh, view it as, as, as part of my mission um, to, to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that this technology has so much promise, but it can only fulfill its promise if we have people all over the world of every ethnicity, uh, gender um, affiliation get engaged. And that's the only way we're going to build businesses that are truly the global leaders of the future. Um, so I've started several organizations um, to, to foster uh, diversity and inclusion, including um, making sure companies recruiting uh, uh, know of, of all the different candidates that are out there, um, giving voice to other women. Um, I often will not participate in a conference unless um, someone I you know recommend uh, comes along who may not be as, as well known in the sector. Um, I have uh, out of pocket personally uh, sponsored uh, younger women to go to hackathons um, to have more representation there and just do a lot of mentoring because um, I, I don't want to see anyone left out of this just because they don't feel like they're welcome. And, and that I certainly felt very welcome at that first conference. And I want everyone else to make sure. That do, you they do. do you think that welcoming sort of atmosphere, has that changed? Yeah. I, look, you hear about stories uh, of, of uh, conferences with their after parties at strip clubs and um, I, I, I think in this day and age um, there's an awareness that not everyone is comfortable with that including you know a lot of men <laughs> and 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 that's not the environment they want to do business in so I, I think taking into account who do you want in 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 your audience participating and um, you know what what's going to be appealing to them and and um, so I 
you know, I, I just want to make sure that I see when I look at an audience, when I'm speaking somewhere, that I see a, a diverse crowd in front of me. Um, and um, I do think this is an exciting time to get engaged because you can really influence the future of the sector. Um, and and it's also up to everyone to to you know, make sure that they make themselves heard or present, um, but I don't want them to later feel, you know, harassed if they if they showed up somewhere. Getting down to brass tacks here, what do you think is the biggest opportunity in blockchain business models right now? Gosh, um, I just feel like I throw a dart <laughs> and there's opportunity. This is very much the way I felt um, in like 19... Uh, I don't know, 1997 or 1998, um, out in Silicon Valley, um, you know, so much needed to be built out. You needed to build out um, data analytics for websites, you, uh, broadband infrastructure, um, and and so I feel the same way now. Uh, the same caution holds right now as it did back then, which is you have to be concerned about timing, and uh, you can't have dApps without the right infrastructure or without the user interfaces that will encourage adoption. Um, and often, you know, people in, in the crypto world get so enamored with the technology or all of its potential without, you know, stepping out into the real world and realizing a lot of things function really well. You have to give people a reason to use them. Um, and that's why I think we're seeing a lot of really interesting enterprise projects because, there are specific pain points that this technology can address. Um, but I, um, I'm interested in everything from infrastructure, um, including you know, alternative protocols that may target certain use cases that are not being addressed right now, all the way to middleware to um, foster interoperability of blockchains, to first-generation applications. I mean, I, I view BitPesa as uh, a first-generation application, so maybe a second-generation application, but that was a, a very targeted use case that made sense for its market, and, and they're now dominating there. Um, and, and so that's what I really look for. Um, uh, the exchange model is certainly going through um, growing pains. Um, it's, it's an area I'd stayed away from uh, in, in the first fund because of uh, the concern around regulation, which we're now seeing uh, happen, but I think there's going to be new crypto asset infrastructure that's built. So in our second fund, about half of our investments so far have been around how do we build the new financial infrastructure for this, this new asset class. So are you interested in stable coins at all? Um, I am. I am. I, I think, um, you know, whether or not you believe that they should exist in the long term, um, I, I think given the volatility in today's markets, um, I, I think they can really help foster adoption. I think it's still a question mark on which models and mechanisms are going to be the ones that actually succeed. Um, but I love the experimentation and, and, and the amount of uh, talent and, and intellect that's going into that space. Well, thank you very much for uh, sharing your thoughts. This has been great. Late Confirmation is brought to you by Oxford University's Said Business School. You can now study fintech entirely online with Oxford University's Said Business School. The 10-week program gives you the tools you need to build the future of transactions and commerce. You'll explore emerging technologies that will disrupt marketplaces and financial services. 
and examine the state of the industry and plan disruptive intra- and entrepreneurial interventions. Throughout the program, you'll be exposed to key ideas, principles, and frameworks from CEOs of leading startups, corporate leaders, and instructional leaders at the forefront of research in the space of future commerce and transactions. Find out more at OxfordExecFintech.com. For more on today's stories and to subscribe to our newsletter, check out Coindesk.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Coindesk. Plus, if you're enjoying the show so far, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For Coindesk, I'm Pete Rizzo, and this has been Late Confirmation. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.